0: If you've got your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter 11, um, Happy New Year, um, Happy 2011, or as the experts now call it, 2011. Um, so I was laughing the other night when they were talking about what to call the year and everything, and uh, I, I watch movies and they get stuck in my head, and for some reason I just got on this kick about our church, and um, we launched in 2010, but this one goes to 11. Um, so uh, that's a, a, an old movie reference. And uh, I'll fill you in later. But uh, we can now say like back in 10, we uh, launched our church. We're only nine months old, but we can always say back in 10. Or I can say back in alt 9 when God gave me the vision for Marine Creek Church. I don't know. It's just crazy. That's just the way I roll. But um, today uh, we're talking about uh, Matthew chapter 11. And uh, we're talking about repentance, revelation, and rest. And uh, rest is something I know a lot of us don't get enough of. Uh, Many of us really don't get rest at all. And uh, I was talking to one of the guys in our church about New Year's resolutions during setup yesterday, and he said, Well, what are your resolutions? I said, I don't have any New Year's resolutions because I I just got tired of being guilty. Um, You know, you make them, you break them, and then you feel guilty. Um, It almost sounds like religion to me, you know, (laughs) you make it, you break it, you feel guilty. And uh, so I just quit doing it, and uh, we got into a conversation about it. The reason I quit doing it is because I realized I'm trying to make resolutions in a broken system. Um, when I look at my life, uh, a lot of the things that I want to fix are broken, and a resolution's not going to do it. So what I have decided is I want God to do a New Year's revolution in my life and completely change my system, com- com- completely change my way of thinking, my way of acting, behaving, uh, my disciplines. And let God handle that from, from inside so that, you know, there's something more transformational going on than me just saying I'm resolving to lose some weight this year. Because I do that every year. And I do lose weight every year. I just gain it back, you know. I mean, my weight, you see, I don't just hold weight. I flow weight. So I'll go up and down, up and down. So really I'm about a net gain right now from the holidays. But um, we get so caught up in trying to fix ourselves and, and uh, we, get, we just get so busy. And we decide that we're going to change things about us. And then when it doesn't work out, we feel guilty about it. And I'm just, I, honestly, I'm tired of feeling guilty. And so um, I just didn't make any resolutions. Uh, but we can get so busy working towards things that we forget to rest. And uh, God really designed us for rest when he, when he made uh, everything. He, he created everything from his word. And on the seventh day, he rested and I think he created rest. And it's important for us to understand that this is a biblical discipline. And uh, I want us to understand at the end of today how to get to that biblical rest. Um, I'm not just talking about laying on the couch and being a couch potato and calling that rest. I'm talking about rest being something that, that regenerates you, that actually brings you back into a connection with, with your Father in heaven, that, that when you uh, have spent time resting There's actually more of you uh, alive than when you began the process of resting. And I'm just going to say a lot of this this morning is preaching to me um, because this is an area that I struggle with, and I'm sure that throughout this teaching I'm probably going to expose myself being a hypocrite, um, but I'm going to repent just along with everybody else because um, I do struggle with rest, and uh, I struggle with downtime. And uh, this week I actually... Uh, took some downtime. I kind of stepped away from church, uh, church emails, and uh, just said, you know, a lot of those things can wait. Uh, There were some, you know, a few minor emergencies that came up, but I just decided, you know what I'm going to take this week? I'm going to be with my family, and uh, we're moving into a new house, and I'm going to try to settle in, and I want to spend some time resting. Uh, My oldest daughter was here for two weeks from Canada, and she went home this morning. Uh, They got her off the airport and, and out, and so she's going back to uh, it's hard to say home for her because home's always been with me. But so that, that, all that process. So I really struggle with this idea of rest. And I want us to understand that God designed us to rest and we can do it. Um, and uh, we're going to do it. And um, sometimes we can, we can have these mental pictures of what rest looks like. I used to think that it was couch potato. Um, and, and growing up, uh, I grew up in church. And uh, when they would preach on the Sabbath, you know, the day of rest, um, I always liked the King James translation best, um, just on how it referred to a man and his donkey and what you cannot work. So uh, uh, I liked that translation better, um, but I always really just missed the point on what the Sabbath was and what this, this rest is. And I had this mental picture. I think a lot of us get mental pictures of God. Um, I don't know if I say, we were to say, close your eyes and picture God how many of you are going to picture an old man with a long white beard and flowing robe? Um, some people, when I say picture God, they they see what we would consider this God of Wrath—that that God um, is judging and, and he's he's holding a scepter and he's you know he's got the face and the furrowed brow and saying you know you have sinned and I am now a wrath, the God of Wrath. And some of us have that mental picture. And and honestly. <laughs> Like I said two weeks ago, if we are going to accept God, if we are going to accept Jesus and the God of Scripture, we've got to accept all of them. And I told you, like the woman that was caught in adultery and Jesus showed her grace, but also the penalty for adultery, as as said in the Old Testament, was stoning. I tend to like God to be hard and just and vengeful when it's for my benefit. So when someone's wronged me, God, throw the rocks, man. And when I f- mess up, when I fall, I'm like, God, I need grace. And so I don't think I'm alone in that. You know, it's just us in here so we can, we can agree and we can, we can be safe. But that's that's honestly how I track. And if I'm going to accept the God of grace that was willing to forgive me of my sin and overlook my sin, I have to understand and accept the fact that God does have this side that is wrath, that is judging, that is going to judge the world, that is going to set over judgment of the world. Honestly, if that's the mental picture and perspective of God that I have of being an angry God and being a a vengeful God. And being a God of wrath, I will never experience rest because I'm always thinking He's out to get me. I mean it's kind of like God's just waiting. you know I, I don't know if you've had the friends in school where they're just waiting around the corner and as soon as you come around they're just they jump you. Um, I, I like doing that in my I'm the one that does that in my house, you know. Um, Abby had a sleepover the other night and they're watching a movie, and it's, it's like 12.30, and I'm like crawling up the stairs all cat-like, and then at the right moment, ah, gotcha, and then they scream, and I laugh, and you know they're choking on candy, and it's just fun. It's good fun. Um, nobody lost an eye, and it was, it was good. We feel God sometimes is doing that, uh, that, that God is just standing over us, just waiting to judge us and catch us in the act so that he can just wipe us off the face of the earth. Well, repentance means we turn and we turn to a different image of God. The same God, different image. And it's a God of grace. You see, if we, when we have approached the throne of grace, when we have uh, repented and come into confession with God, then instead of this wrath and the vengeful God, it's the God of grace. And the only way that I will never have to face the wrath is to, is to experience God's grace. The only way I'm going to experience rest is in God's grace. Otherwise, I'm going to constantly be waiting and, and over my shoulder and that tense feeling that, that here it is, God's going to get me. And honestly, God doesn't, doesn't design us to carry the loads that we carry. Uh, we, we tend to get these images of God. We get these images of how we should function in society. Uh, we get these images of what our house should be, what kind of income we should have, our cars... You know, I, I heard one man say the other night when he was kind of sharing his story, um, how he had gotten caught up in, in just, you know, what kind of car and all of this stuff. And he said, when I drove away from the hospital after my wife had just uh, suddenly and, and, and uh, unexpectedly passed away, it didn't matter what kind of car I drove. It mattered that the grace and comfort of my Heavenly Father was there. And it recentered him in his life. And God's looking at us saying, I didn't design you to carry things like this. I didn't design you to live your life in fear of an image or in a perspective that, that yes, may be true that God is wrath, but he says, but I've given you grace. One one, uh, professor was telling a story. uh, It was a a Bible professor, and uh, he had moved to a new town, and they were moving into a new house, and they were setting up his library in his home. And he was carrying all these books in, and his four-year-old son was asking to help. Dad, I want to help. Dad, I want to help. Dad, what can I carry? He's just standing there. Dad, I want to carry something. And so this professor, father, hands his son some magazines and says, carry those into the library, son. Well, a few minutes later, the professor's grabbing another armload of books, and he hears his son crying. And he goes out uh, from the truck, and he sees his son sitting there on the sidewalk crying. And uh, he was struggling with a Bible concordance. I don't know if you know what a Bible concordance is. I have one when I was in college. Now you can get them online. But back in the day, they were a book probably twice the size of the old school large family Bible, if you know what I'm talking about. This thing weighs like, you know, two backstreet boys. It's just amazingly massive. And the son is struggling with trying to carry this. And the father looks at him and said, Son, I didn't ask you to carry this. And the son's just crying. He says, but I wanted to help. And what's interesting is the father doesn't just pick the book up out of his son's hands. He picks up his son. And he carries his son and he carries the problem to where they need to go. And I think a lot of times we, we get so burdened and weighed down and we're lacking rest and we're lacking peace. And we're sitting there and we're just weighed down. And God wants, he desires to pick not just us up and not just the problem but both so that he can bring some resolution. And I'm, I'm really convinced of this, that, that getting to rest is a process. In order to get to rest, it has to begin with repentance. I mean, otherwise, I, I just continue to face the same image of God, of being a God of wrath, or I continue to face that I have to live life this way, or I continue to stay focused on uh, something that is, is keeping me burdened and keeping me weighed down. And repentance, it's just a big word for to turn. And what God is saying is, is, is turn. God, The God of wrath, if that's what you're facing, turn and see the God of grace. He's the same God. If, if you've been focused on your job or, or ladies focused on your families, God's saying turn and focus on me. If you're focused on all of the stuff, God says focus, turn and focus on me. And all the other stuff will work out. I didn't design you to carry that kind of load. And I'm convinced that it begins with repentance. And so uh, let's go through this. Matthew chapter 11. We'll start in verse 20. Um, this is right after Jesus uh, gives, a, gives a, a what for to the Pharisees who are the re- religious leaders when he... He quotes back a nursery rhyme and he's really calling them on their immaturity and uh, some questioning going on with John the Baptist. And then Jesus says this, he began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. Jesus didn't denounce the cities because they were imperfect. Jesus didn't denounce the cities because they made mistakes. Jesus didn't denounce the cities because of, of, of the things that people were struggling with in those cities. Jesus denounced the cities because he had revealed his power and they didn't repent. They refused to turn. They saw all of the things that Jesus had done, but they refused to turn and say, you know what, I need to focus this way instead of this way. And so that is why he denounced these cities. He says, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida. If the miracles that were performed in you have been performed in Tyre and Sidon, They would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Sackcloth and ashes is just a really uh, big sign of humility. Um, Sackcloth is like burlap. um, and ashes, you're sitting in the mire. And it's a a show and a sign of humility to say, God, all of this doesn't matter. It's grieving. Um, In the Old Testament, if you remember Job, when he found out the news of his family being being taken from him, um, he tore his clothes and he put on sackcloth and he sat in ashes, and he mourned, and he grieved. And he's saying, if if these cities had seen the power of God at work and the miracles that I did, they would have turned. They would have turned in such a way that they would have humbled themselves and grieved their sin because they saw the power of God. And then he says this, But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom than on the day of judgment than for you. Let's talk about this. You know, he denounces them because they didn't repent. Why didn't they repent? It was because they had this pride. Their pride was, would allow them to see the miracles that Jesus was performing. He would come in and he would heal the blind. He, the, the sick would be made well. The, peop- the, the people who could not walk could walk. I mean miracles were happening and pride blinded them to what was really going on. Pride blinded them to the power of God at work instead of the power of God. It's it's kind of like we want God's stuff without God. I don't know if you've ever experienced this and and honestly I've I've tested God in this way when I was kind of trying to come to this grips of, God, are you real or not? Of, God, if I could just see a miracle. If I could just see a miracle, then I would believe. If I could just see a miracle, then that's evidence to me that you exist. And I I don't think I'm alone. I don't think I've ever prayed this. Sometimes it's, God, if you could just give me a million bucks, I'll know you exist. But we tend to test God. We don't need miracles. I, I, love, I, would love to be, I would love to see miracles. I, I would love to see that kind of uh, work that God is touching people. And, and I will go on to tell you that it's not the miracles that we need, it's Jesus. It's not what his hands do. We need his hands. We need him. We need to get to a point where it's not, God, what can you give me? It's just, God, here I am. And the people in these cities, the pride had led them to be blinded to who God was and just see the miracles. You've heard me say this, and I will not get off of this soapbox. If all we do is chase the miracles that God gives us, then we've created God in our own image, and we've made him a God of hoops to say, God, here's what I need, jump. God, I wanna, I, I'd like to see you do this, jump. And I'm convinced God just looks at us and I think with all the grace and he has more love than we can imagine, he just tells us, I'm not playing your game. I'm not your God. I'm not your boy. I'm not jumping through the hoops that you think you want me to jump through. And pride keeps us from seeing that. Pride does not lead to rest and humility does lead to repentance. That's the sackcloth and ashes. That is, when, when we can get past the pride, uh, it, think about this. A prideful person can never rest. When, when I get filled with pride and deal with pride, um, I didn't think I was a prideful person until I got in the process of launching a church. And God reveals to me a lot more than I really cared to know about myself. But I, did, I always considered myself not to be a prideful person. But when I got into this process of launching a church, I found myself having to repent of so many things because God's saying, there's pride. There's pride, there's pride, there's pride, there's pride. Hey, Matt, there's pride. Guess what? Hey, Matt, there's pride. And I couldn't, I couldn't rest because pride leads us to say, I've got to do it. I've got to one-up it. If you're driven by pride and filled with pride, just having the job doesn't do it you've got to get the next job. If we're driven by pride, it's not having a car, it's having the best car. Or pride leads us to look to the next car. If we're driven by pride and we're in a relationship, it leads us to the next relationship. And God's saying, it's humility that leads to repentance. It's when God shows up And the power of God is at work and Jesus steps into the town and we see, wow, I am not worthy to do this. And we begin to humble ourselves. You see, pride and humility can't dwell together because pride will allow us to say, look what I did. And humility will say, I have no way of doing this without the power of God. And humility leads us to repentance. Humility will show us that the direction we've been facing goes to nowhere. There's a, there's a bridge. We lived in Keller. There's a bridge in Keller that parallels the main road. And we used to, my best friend and I, Dustin, you've met him, we joked about this all the time. It was the bridge to nowhere. This bridge came out of a little shopping center and came over and it ends goes nowhere, and for years and years and years. It still goes nowhere. A lot of times pride will say, this is the road I'm on, this is the road I'm driving, and we will stay the course. And what happens when you get to the edge of the bridge to nowhere? You have to turn around, because you're not going any further. And what happens is we, we will drive and drive and drive, and God says it's a dead-end road. And when we get to the end of that, and some for some it's a long road, for some it's a short road. I think for me, God said it's got to be a short road. <laughs> Otherwise, I'd still, I'd still be driving. I'd be in the deserts of Nevada right now. And he says, you have a choice. You can drive off the edge or you can turn. And that's all repentance is. These, um, uh, Let me just say this, that the miracles that Jesus performed, the goal is not always so someone can be healed. The goal always is repentance. It's all about making clear who Jesus is. That's why Jesus would say after he healed somebody, don't tell anyone about this. Because he wanted the glory to be on his father, not on the miracle. He wanted the focus of his ministry to be on the man, not what he can do for people. And repentance is always the goal. These cities, um, history will tell us that they they did not repent. This woe was a warning shot. You know, woe is like, like, watch out. If you've got kids, you know, uh, we call it in my house, I'm going to fire a warning shot across your bow. And uh, you have time to turn the ship, otherwise... Um, we're bringing guns, baby. And here it comes. And so you kind of give that warning shot, the little correction, and that's what Jesus is doing with this woe. He's saying, watch out. Here's the shot. There's going to be doom and gloom, baby. If you want to accept the grace of God, you also have to understand that he's a just God and he will bring vengeance and just and justice. But here's a warning shot. Turn. And the city's never turned. And Capernaum was the the center of Jesus' operations, was found in 1838 by archaeologists. Archaeologists uncovered this city and their description of Capernaum and the remains and ruins of Capernaum was this. It is a sad and desolate place. Now, think about the life of an archaeologist. You spend all your time in the dirt anyway. I mean, it's going to be lonely. You're not digging with steam shovels. You know, they dig with brushes. They wipe dirt away. And for them to uncover a city and say this is a sad and desolate place, to me says a lot. Uh, Chorazin—the only time they never found the remains of that city. The only evidence of that Chorazin was a city and existed is two places: scripture and history. And then Bethsaida, the other city that he gave a woe to or warning to, no one has ever found. And he's saying. You can repent, you can turn, and this can be easy. And the next thing is repentance leads to revelation. Right after Jesus gives this warning to these cities, he turns around, and it's almost like a complete tone change. He says, at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was for your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father, no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and those whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. What's, what's going on is, is we can spend our life trying to find God. We, we get on this, this quest, this search. I've, I've heard one scholar say he has decided that if you set out to find enough evidence that God exists, you will find enough evidence to support your claim. However, if you set out to find enough evidence that God does not exist, you will find enough evidence to support your claim. If you set out to find truth, at the end of that search is God. We spend our lives trying to find God. I mean, we, we, want, we want to see God in everything. And, and there are things that I have gone through that I can tell you, the presence of God, that, that solidifies my belief in God. And then someone can look at that and go, I look at that situation and there's no way God could exist. It's because God is in control of revelation. God is in control of how and who and when he reveals himself. And he does reveal himself to every person. We can't cop out and say, well, if God's in control of that, then I can just sit back and wait for God to show up. There are some things that you can learn, but some things you got to see. Some things you've got to experience. I mean, we can talk about it here, but some things you've got to get out and let God show you. And God is in control of that. Um, Jesus got excited here because God was getting the glory. You know, he said, I praise you, Father, in heaven. You just gave warning shots to destruction of cities here, Jesus. And then you turn around and say, but Father, I praise you because God is getting the glory. Everything that we are created to do is to bring God glory. Our mission statement here, our whole drive is to give God glory through lives changed by the message of Jesus. Everything we do, we are to do for the glory of God. And Jesus is saying, God, all of this is for your glory. What would happen if we got, we got more excited or if we got happier when God got glory instead of us? What, what would happen if we were more focused on God getting all the praise instead of us getting the credit? I think that's a sign of maturity, that when we desire to reveal God's glory instead of our own. Again, humility and pride. Pride is, look what I did. I did this. I made this happen. I think of Castaway after he finally makes fire, and he's standing there, and he's like, I have made fire! Oh, really? No, you didn't. You, you made the science happen of making fire, but God made... You know, we could get into that kind of argument. But pride says, look what I've made, you know? Look what I did. And humility says, only by the power and grace of God can this happen. And then God shows us more of himself. God chooses when... To show up. In verse 16 he says you've revealed yourself to children. That doesn't just mean he reveals himself to kids. Because we're adults and we're thinking oh great I missed it. No. Nay. I'll say to you. He means babies. He means those that don't have all this capacity. Remember the context of who he's talking to. He is talking to people that are so beat down in a religious system that's set up by the Pharisees that all of these laws, all of these rules, all these regulations have been heaped on them. And he's saying, you've got all these rules, but you are totally missing grace. You've got a religious system here, but you have no relationship with the God of the universe. And these people are so beat down and, and... The Pharisees would hold it over their heads because the people that were trying to follow God were uneducated. They didn't have the ability to interpret this by themselves and they always had to be fed the information. And it ironically was fed by the religious leaders who continued to keep them in a system. And Jesus is so excited. He's like, you're bypassing all of these people who think they're wise and you're going to the babies. You're going to the people who don't think they're smart enough to understand scripture. I, I, I get that when we try to read the Bible that, that it can be confusing sometimes. Let me challenge you. I was sitting with a friend, and he's like, I have to read this so many times to figure out what it's saying. And I looked, and he, he had a translation of the Bible that was, was really hard to read. I told you in the beginning I like the King James Version because it's referenced to not working your donkey. Well, the King James Version is also very cumbersome to read. You know, let's get into a translation that we can understand. I teach out of the New International Version. I study out of several different translations. I do not have to possess a degree to understand what God is saying. I do not have to have all of this great wisdom and knowledge and information for God to reveal himself to me. I mean, someone who has never been to a day of school in their life, and, and people say, well, Matt, how can God reveal himself to someone who lives in the jungles or lives in, in the outback in Australia? God says every man will stand without excuse. He tells us that all creation testifies. It's the revelation of God through his creation. We do not have to have crazy degrees. You can have more degrees than a thermometer, but still be dumber than a box of rocks. I mean, it's, God says... God says, I go after the box of rocks, baby. I'm all about the rocks, and I love that. What I also love is Jesus says, I praise you, Father. He says, Lord of heaven and earth. Again, there's that perspective. How do we see God? Do we see him as Lord of heaven and earth, or do we see him as Father? Have you experienced that revelation that it's not just coming into God's presence and bowing and saying, I'm here, my Lord, you know, and And you're in the presence of Lord of heaven and earth. And he's like, kiss the ring, you know, now make your request known. (laughs) Get past that. That's junk. God is our father. God is our father in a sense that he is perfect. I don't know what your relationship with your dad was growing up. But I can tell you that God is a perfect father. And I understand that it can be a process to get rid of some of that baggage. And God is all about that. Again, God says, I didn't design you to carry that let me help you and when he wants to help us god as our father says come come climb up in my lap I remember sitting in my father's lap watching sports growing up and I would lay my head on his chest and I could hear him breathe. I could hear his heartbeat. That is how God desires us to be in a relationship. That's how God desires to reveal himself to us that when we spend time, we crawl up in our dad's lap, our head is so close to his chest, we can hear him breathe. We feel his heartbeat through his chest on our head and we can just pour ourselves out. Or we're so excited about what's going on. We come bouncing in. We pop up on his lap. I got to tell you what happened to me. And he's not going to be a dad that says, I know, son, I was there. He's going to say, I want to hear all about it. He's not a father that's waiting for you to get out of the house so he can get back to whatever life he had to plan for himself. He's not an abusive father. He's not an authoritative father that's going to lord things over you and just to see what he can get you to do. He's not a manipulative father. He's a perfect father. He's a dad. And that's a revelation that, that I can't make you have, but you have to have it. And only through repentance and turning from a God of wrath to a God of grace and then understanding he is my father is when change starts to happen and it goes into intimacy in your relationship. And then the next thing is rest. He says this. Remember, he's talking to all the people who are burdened down by the religious junk, we'll call it. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What refreshing news this was to the people hearing Jesus say this, because they were so beat down by trying to please God. They were told that unless you live according to these rules, and, and it was a really a legalistic system that God is not going to be happy with you, that there's no way to holiness. And so these people, was probably such refreshing news. And Jesus says, come to me. If you're weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Weary is an internal struggle, an internal weight. That's like the emotional weight. That's like growing up in a system of abuse. And you carry this emotional weight weariness and a burden is what is placed on you from the outside maybe you're in an abusive relationship and that's creating a burden on you maybe your job is creating a burden on you maybe the financial pressure and and stress that we have we've put ourselves in or we found ourselves in is creating a burden for us and jesus has come to me and i will give you rest I will admit that, that some people show pride by refusing to repent and some show pride by refusing to rest. And that's where I have to have my confession time because I really struggle with rest. I have a hard time sitting back and letting God be God. Those of you that, that have, have seen me just try to make things happen and then, you know, Christmas Eve service was a prime example of it. I'm trying to do God's work for Him. I'm calling people. I'm like, "Hey, we need. To, can we rent your building to have Christmas service with?" And it was only when I just said, "Okay, God, I, I'm done. I can't can't do this anymore," that a phone call comes in and says, "Hey, we want you to use our building." And oh, by the way, we, it's a Christmas gift. You see, that's where when pride gets. And you want to talk about humbling? I mean, I I, I felt God saying, "See, see." I got this, I can do this, I felt like I was struggling with trying to carry a heavy load and God says, come on, I'm going to pick you and the problem up and let's go, I really struggle with rest, it's hard work, a lot of us uh, feel uh, like, feel the struggle with rest too because we've been in an abusive situation, Some of us, a lot of us have experienced religious abuse, Um. Some of you abuse beyond things that I can imagine and you probably have no desire to relive. And that creates this heaviness and this weight. The people in this passage that Jesus is talking to were heaped with burdens and regulations and rules and then they were told that God can't love them if they do this or they don't do this. That that to me is, I, I'm I'm so glad that Jesus is not about that. Because Jesus steps on the scene and says, I can take this on. And he takes on the religious leaders. He takes on the this, this struggle. He takes on the trials. This yoke that he talks about, think of oxen. You know, when you pair oxen, you put them in a yoke to plow. And, and both are pulling. When one gets tired, the other one can kind of push while the other one's catching up. A lot of times, farmers would pair a weaker oxen with a stronger one so that they could grow in strength. Because when the, the stronger one would get tired, the other one would have to push. The other one would be pushed by the bigger one. Even in animals, there's competition and pride. And so we take this yoke that Jesus has and we say, I want to get in this yoke with you, Jesus. And he is the stronger. He is the God of grace that leads us. Another yoke that's referred to in this passage is what's called the rabbinical yoke. The rabbis of the day, when they would teach, they would their teaching or their, their platform, like when we think of political sense, their platform, what is the platform of this candidate, would be called their yoke. And different rabbis would have different yokes, and it was their teaching. Um, we see different yokes popping up in, in churches and in cultures. And, and I will tell you, our yoke is Jesus, because he said his burden is easy and it's light. And we, our yoke is all about Jesus. Our yoke isn't any religious mumbo-jumbo garbage. It is all about Jesus. Our yoke is a relationship. Our yoke is not a, a. if you have enough faith, you can have whatever you want. Our yoke is Jesus. I want nothing else in the yoke with me than Jesus. And that's what we're going to teach. And we have to understand that that, We have to let go of a yoke that we have. A lot of us, pride will put us in a yoke where we push for the job. Ladies, uh, and I'm not calling, yeah, I am calling you out. Ladies will put us in a yoke that the kids are what drives us. Um, We all put ourselves in a financial yoke where the desire to have the stuff gets us bound up. and We carry a heavy load financially. Um, We... Don't experience any health in ourself relationally, emotionally or spiritually or physically. So when we enter a relationship with another person, we're yoked with someone that can't carry our load and we can't carry their load. And, and honestly, uh, we put ourselves in the yoke with so many other things and we just get beat down and then we start working for this Grace. We start working for our mortgage. We start working in our relationship. We start working so that person will love us. If you're in a relationship that you have to work way too hard to get this person to love you, that's not a relationship. That's an arrangement. And Jesus is saying, take my yoke on. Get out of all that other junk. Oh, by the way, I can get you out of all that other junk. We look at the cross in a way that, that as a sign of a debt because at the cross we teach and we understand that, that there's a debt that we enter life with that Jesus paid for on the cross. And we look at the cross and say, if I accept that grace, I've got to spend the rest of my life paying for that grace. It's almost like we, we get the grace at the cross and then we mortgage it for the rest of our lives and we work for it. And Jesus is saying through this rest... Everything that is needed to pay for rest has been paid for. Just turn, get out of that yoke, get in the yoke with Jesus. I mean, it's, it's, it's as simple as that. And Jesus says, I will lead this. This rest doesn't give us an excuse to be lazy. I, I get so tired of people who put their faith in God and sit back and do nothing and wait on God. I'm waiting on God. Scripture tells us in Isaiah that those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. Wait, there is a very active term. You know, let's go. Let's go out to lunch. Let's go to Babe's Chicken and watch a waiter. They're not just sitting there going, "That food's going to move from there to your table." That's what he's talking about, those who wait on the Lord. Get off of our butts spiritually, physically, emotionally, and let's get in there with Jesus and start working. Let's move. Let Jesus carry the load and let's go. Let's move it. And so the the challenge here is to stop working for grace and rest in it. That rest is that regeneration, that peace, that that re-fulfilling so that we can continue to do. That's part of what the Sabbath is. It's a day for us to sit back, give God the glory for everything he's done, and refocus us back on God And that time of rest so we can go back out and do what God has created us to do. Every one of us, God has made for a purpose. And when we don't live that purpose, we're not in the yoke that God wants us in. And we're pulling our own weight, and it's exhausting. And so stop working for the grace and rest in it. Let's do this for me. Bow your heads and close your eyes. I I just want you to to track with me for just a second. I can't and, and I will not try to make anyone repent. That's God's work. God does all that work. I'm responsible for communicating the truth of Scripture and for us to experience Jesus for who he really is. And if you experience Jesus for who he really is, then you will either repent, you either turn into that grace, or you'll walk away and say, I'm not I don't need that. And then God leads us into revelation. And here's what we have to understand is God is in control of that revelation. But I don't know uh, what yoke, what burden, what heaviness you're carrying. Through our conversations one on one, I know what some of you are carrying. But only you, in the, in the deep, dark depths of your soul, know what's weighing you down. And so, I want you to just, just tell God right now. I mean, nothing fancy about it. Just say, God, I'm tired and I need rest. I've carried this on my own for far too long. And let God take that off of you. Some of you, this might be a a constant process of saying, God, take this off of me and take this off of me." me. Let me encourage you, quit taking it back from God. I mean, we trust the God of the universe with our eternity, with our hope. Trust him to lift this off and to handle this the best way that he knows. When we start to worry, it 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 invades rest. And worry is us taking that issue or problem or weight back out of the hands of God. And some of us, you know, we're we're in yokes with, with financial pressure. We're in yokes with relationship pressure. We're in yokes with emotional stress. We're in yokes with, with with our job. And instead of being prideful and defending why we're in the yoke or in the situation we're in, let's humble ourselves. amazingly when we humble ourselves and fall to our knees that yoke doesn't fall with us and Jesus meets us there and he picks us up he picks the problems up and he begins to walk with us into the life that that he's created for us a life that has rest and work in a perfect balance. That we're regenerated. We we feel passion. We feel life. We're energized. Into a healthy life. Father, we love you so much. Thank you for being a perfect. Thank you for desiring to hear from us, to hear about what's going on. Thank you for being strong enough to carry all of us. Father, thank you for taking the yokes that we we put on ourselves or we find ourselves in. Thank you for taking those off. thank you that the yoke that Jesus calls us to live in is easy and light, Father we just ask that that you reveal ways in us show us the areas where pride has put up the walls show us where we need to repent and God give us the courage the strength and even the, the people alongside of us to turn. And we know that you are faithful and just to forgive when we call upon your grace. And we just ask that that grace changes us, that grace moves us into peace and rest and comfort. So, Father, you said, Jesus, you said, Come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. We lay our weariness and our burdens down at your feet, Jesus. We lay those at the feet of the cross. We love you, trust you, and we thank you. Father, we ask that this week, as we... the. As a group and as a body, collectively lay our stuff at the feet of Jesus that uh, as we leave this time this morning, that we don't walk away and pick it back up. Help us to continue to walk and move and live in the yoke with Jesus. We love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.